0: Hello, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I am Lisa Tahir, your host, and if you have been listening to the show, you know that this show is about personal growth and transformation by me bringing you in contact and in touch with guests whom are people that I admire, knowing that all of our contributions matter. You would also know that I'm a licensed clinical social worker, an intuitive psychotherapist. I am a Reiki practitioner and EMDR certified. And you can find out all of that from my website, which is nolatherapy.com. The abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy, where I have offices in both cities. Today's focus is, is a bit different from Heavy on the Therapy End. I am also a professional glass artist. I work, I'm a member of the Los Angeles design industry, and I have a website for my professional glass work, which is lisatahir.com. I founded a nonprofit in 2010 called the Yes Foundation with the help of my guest, who will be coming on in a few minutes. And together, we initiated a nonprofit, a full 501c3 that helps people in wheelchairs learn to blow and cast glass and then sell those wares to to for income, you know, Purposes, show in galleries, etc. Glass has been inaccessible for the most part to people with disabilities in wheelchairs due to the nature of its manual labor, he- heavy lifting, you know, the studio's kind of clunky, cumbersome, hot. um and so I, I, we're going to share why we came up with this idea together. But there was no vehicle for people in wheelchairs to learn to cast and blow glass. So over the last six years, I designed and invented a modified glass workbench that I just got the U.S. patent several days ago, finalized, and that has been launched on my Facebook page. It will be on Twitter and such. A website's coming. So... so with that, this all ties into my guest today. And you know, as I was preparing for the show, I was thinking of today is Cinco de Mayo and and seemingly unrelated to a show about people overcoming disabilities and hardships, but when I researched what Cinco de Mayo is and what we're celebrating, May 5th, um, besides drinking margaritas and and having fun. We celebrate this day because in 1862, the French invaded Mexico. And they went to the city of Puebla, a southern town. The Mexican forces there were outnumbered, outgunned, and they defeated the French invaders. And this victory gave the Mexican people the right to govern themselves. So as I kind of milled that over in my own head... I thought about my guest today, Beth Carter Drury. She is inspirational, and she really exemplifies this ability that we all have to govern ourselves by choosing the direction of our lives in in relation to what happens to us. She is going to be sharing her story of transformation through unexpected occurrences, in 2004, her husband, Michael Drury, fell from a ladder and was paralyzed from the waist down. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina ravaged New Orleans and took from them particularly not only their family home, but both of their business businesses, a sand volleyball complex, Coconut Beach, and Egan Insurance Company. So for all of us here in New Orleans. Hurricane Katrina changed the landscape of our lives. And Beth and Michael inspired me to, to do what I did with the nonprofit because I watched Michael and I watched Beth go through having to modify their activities of daily living because of his disability. And the activities that Michael did that had ADA compliant, or Americans with Disability Act compliant resources he could continue to do. And the ones that didn't, he had to give up, like selling their beautiful ranch home in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, because he couldn't do the maintenance on it anymore, being in a wheelchair. So Beth is on my board of directors for the YES Foundation. Her husband, Michael, is going to help us uh, fine-tune the prototype that will be built in 2016 and, and starting to be tested and used in 2017 in various glass shops throughout the country and hopefully in the world. Beth herself, in addition to all of this, is a property and casualty insurance associate With Egan Insurance Agency, based in New Orleans. They are also licensed in California. She is co-owner, with her husband Michael, of Coconut Beach Volleyball Complex here in the New Orleans area, which they rebuilt after a number of years following Katrina, and something that they do that I think is really special every year is that they have raised over a million dollars for the Children's Miracle Network Telethon by donating proceeds from the bar sales, and she's going to talk about other ways that, that they help uh, nonprofits and such through through this particular business. So I'd love to bring on Beth Carter-Drury. Hi, Lisa. Beth?
1: Hey, how are yes, you how today? how are you?
0: I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be talking to you today. I'm so happy that you were able to join me today. How, um, where would you like to start with, with the story? And then I kind of gave a big overview. Um, where would you like to begin?
1: I guess we can just start from the beginning of um, when the transformation occurred, I assume. Um, I was kind of listening to the intro, and it was spot on, you know, with the events and how they occurred. Yeah. Um, You know, I guess Katrina, everybody in New Orleans talks about it's either pre Katrina or after Katrina. You know, it's kind of a a defining mark in people's lives. So it is. Obviously, Michael's accident happened before Katrina, uh, a little less than a year before. So that was. Quite a bit of change we had to go through within a year's period of time, you know, I mean, between him completely changing his lifestyle physically and then emotionally, you know, just having to sustain the loss of Katrina. But um, I don't know, it was it was life-changing, but I think it was life-changing and transforming in a way that was really healthy. I mean, it, it stripped away a lot, but I guess when you get to mm-hmm. the core of yourself, you just open yourself up to so much more, it kind of opens your eyes and you realize, wow, you know, life goes on. It could actually be better.
0: Wow. Um,
1: You know, it just, it's just stuff, I guess, at the end of the day, you know, and Mike and I were left with each other. So we kind of had to pick ourselves up from the bootstraps. And I guess for me, it was more about him. There was no way I was going to let him fail. Right. so much succeeding myself. You know, it was more about, he cannot fail. So what are we going to do about that? How are we going to change our life so that you can be who you want to be and be able to do the things you want to do? So I think that's kind of for me where it started. And I guess during that transformation process, it did transform me first. Just so I was completely unaware of it. I mean, I'm constantly told I'm inspirational, but I kind of find that kind of funny and humbling. I mean, <laughs> I just kind of do what I do.
0: <laughs> and we were but talking I about think- that before coming live on the show, that that you don't see yourself in that way. And, and I was saying that for me, uh, you are. And I think for people that are inspirational, that you don't, in my experience, you don't see yourself in that way because you're just doing what you do to go through another day and make things happen that are important. And I think by doing that, that is what's inspiring.
1: I guess so. I guess maybe inspiration is a selfless act. I don't know. Um, I've never really thought about it. I mean, I've never defined it, but it's exciting to be on your show because just talking about it out loud, it's just, um, you know, you sit back and you look at your life and I'm going to be 50 this year. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, wow, look what I've been through and where I've come from. And it's kind of, you know, reassuring that I guess I made the right choices uh, because you never are sure when you're in the moment, if you have, you know, but I'm just, I guess I'm glad for Michael and I that things have worked out so well.
0: When I think definitely going through traumatic loss, like in 2004, when my under, my memory, because we've been friends a, a number of years, is that you were in the kitchen, you both were preparing to go on a trip, like like always, and um mm-hmm. something felt weird. You felt kind of like something's wrong, and you went outside, and Michael had climbed a ladder to trim a tree ba- branch, like always, and when he mm-hmm. trimmed one branch, another one was pinned up behind it, and like. Shot out and knocked them off of like a twenty foot ladder, correct onto the concrete oh, on his yeah. back.
1: It was right in front of the house, and he had the ladder on the sidewalk. and he's like, you know, this branch has been bothering me. The trucks keep hitting it when they drive up and down the street. So before we get a lunch, let me just go take care of that and then we'll go have you know lunch. Then so I was like, fine. so yeah, it was. it was I was standing there, blow drying my hair, getting ready, and I literally paused. Yeah, something made, I was like, you know, so what's going on? I walked to the window to check on him, which I don't know why I would have done that, but I did. And he was laying on the ground. And um, of all the places he could have fallen, he fell right on the sidewalk where the concrete was broken, uh, which we have a lot of in New Orleans because it grows around the trees here. So, uh, yeah, and it was just, you know, I mean, in the moment, oh, let's get you to the hospital. You know, I called the ambulance and they picked him up. And at that moment, I could tell he wasn't moving his legs. You know, they were trying to straighten them out and put them on the stretcher. And, uh, you know, then from that point on, you go through the process, you go to the hospital, and they bombard you with all this information, making decisions that you never thought you'd have to make. I can't even
0: imagine what that was like for you.
1: It was actually very numbing. I think I just went on autopilot initially. I mean, when anybody deals with trauma, I think in the first stage is just, I wouldn't say denial, but just. You're an auto-function. Shock. Okay, what do I you're do? In
0: shock. Yeah. yeah,
1: you're in shock. Uh, how do I get to the next moment, the next hour? Then you want to get to the next day. Then you want to get to the next week. And then from there you said, okay, so a month from now, what are we going to do? You know, and then each day by taking baby steps, you gradually start taking steps toward a longer-term future in your mind instead of the next moment. And uh, it was a lot of information to absorb, but, I mean, you know, Mike was inspirational to me because initially he was from the get-go, you know, this will not stop me. Okay, how do mm-hmm. I get out of the hospital? How do I start recovery? What's the next step? Where do I go? I'm going to walk again. You know, this. you keep telling me this is permanent. I don't believe you.
0: Yes. You don't know
1: me. You know, you can't hold me back. And so I think, you know, I was trying to support him, not letting him fail, and at the same time... He inspired me just by his will, his, his pure will to move on. And I uh, never saw it as a disability, ever. I never saw wow. it that way. Yeah. You know, wheelchair and- was simply a function, a functional vehicle, just like people drive the automobiles to get where they need to go. He just said, okay, well, good, I'll get a wheelchair and then I can go wherever I need to go and just, you know, went from there. So um, he was actually my inspiration,
0: you know, yeah. of
1: this handling the reality of the situation and and not letting it be a setback, but just another challenge to move forward.
0: Well, and as I hear you saying this, I'm thinking of Michael, who I know very well, and I don't think I've heard him really refer to himself being disabled and in a lacking kind of sense. I know he still, for Coconut Beach, drives like tractors and big machinery and uses a cane to hit the clutch. And I mean, just like, <laughs> like you said, nothing's going to stop him. He's going to drive this equipment. He's going to do what he does that makes him happy mm-hmm. and find a way if a way does not exist, which has inspired mm-hmm. me as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially with the Yes Foundation and you were, you know, but yes, people with disabilities can't blow glass. So how can they blow glass? And that was how you came up with the development of that patent, which is amazing. Thank you. Know, you. And and so I guess you know it's kind of lovely. Inspiration share is shared, and then it, it it moves on. Inspiration it gets spread around, kind of like love. And oh yeah, you know one person inspires a thought of something and sparks someone else to do something else. So um, I think that's a wonderful thing. And I think it, it you all know, came out of tragedy. is even more special, you know? Yes. And I think that, it, it, with the compounding effect of Katrina, I mean, Michael's accident happened in November of 2004, and we had not even done anything to the house, you know, because the house was not handicap accessible. So
0: yeah okay, Yeah. a way, though.
1: You know, we found little trolleys. I would literally put them on like a file cart <laughs> and transport him down the hallway into the shower, and he'd transfer into a bench that we bought, and... You know, we'd kind of giggle about it, you know, we'd make light of it, you know like but, but get on your file cart, let's go take a shower, you know, but um, you know because life goes on, and you either have you can cry or you can laugh, you know, so we always chose laughter, and uh, I think just and so we had not done anything to the house, luckily because okay. when Katrina came in August of two thousand and five, I mean it completely took the house, so luckily, we had invested a lot of time in recreating. Uh, you know, our environment to that extent. So yes. kind of, you know, and we, you know, it was almost like a cleansing. You know, it, it, Katrina mm. came along and things had changed for us in our life and we still had the physical things that had not changed. Mm-hmm. But Katrina kind of took care of that by eliminating all of it. You know, so that at that point, we were really at, at ground zero. And I said, now you we were. can truly recreate the landscape that we live in. So how do we want to do that? What do we want it to look like? How
0: are going to that? That's a beautiful reframing. That's a beautiful reframe from being here and how, just lack of a better term, horrible it was. And mm-hmm. and for you both to come together and say we really have a blank slate.
1: Yes, it was it was you know a blessing in disguise to me. Um, so you know Katrina, I can't say I'm happy it occurred by any right. stretch. Um, it was so devastating to most people and to a lot of people but it for us it just allowed us to get from that kind of place of okay now we're here what do we do how, what do we do with what we have and how do we change it to well everything's gone let's just start from scratch and we can design it the way we want
0: so, so how how was that process for you and Michael, not knowing Katrina was coming? You all lived in the lakefront area. For our listeners, not New Orleans. It's, it's near Lake Pontchartrain. Their business, Coconut Beach, was nearby. And the floodwaters just destroyed all of it. The home, the business, gone. So where did you and Michael find yourselves? And how did you begin to recreate and paint on this blank canvas?
2: This is your moment.
1: Well, we found ourselves, I was working in the insurance industry at the time, so we had a ton of claims. So my life catapulted into overdrive mm. uh, with handling insurance claims for clients. So we actually set up a satellite office in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is our state capital. And it's uh, I'd takes probably two hours outside of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And we found this little house. We had a friend, luckily, who was a developer. And had just finished developing this little subdivision in a little town called Maripa, who I, which I called home for six years. Mm. and uh, he actually emailed us photographs. We were in our house. When Katrina hit, we were on vacation at our house in Colorado. Okay. decided to go there for Michael's birthday. Michael's birthday is August 29th. The day day after Oh, the day of Katrina. Wow. It's the anniversary. So his birthday, we were there celebrating uh, his birthday, and we were out, and we knew this storm was coming toward Florida, we thought at the time, on that Friday or Saturday. And uh, had some people call us and say, what do you want to do about the storm? And we're like, what storm? My stream is about to hit New Orleans. We're like, you're kidding. It was going to Florida. There's no way. And so we didn't have a chance to pack anything up. I mean, my cats were still at my house. Oh, gosh. Uh, so we called friends who actually wanted to stay at our house because Lakeview was supposed to be a safe area. Because of its proximity to the lake, it was one of the highest ground areas in the city because city New Orleans has kind of created like a bowl. And we lived on the edge of the bowl where no flooding should have occurred. Um, Other than the levee breaking, I don't think it would have. But, you know, when the levees failed, it changed the landscape drastically. So we actually had friends staying there. But, so you know, when we lost the house, we literally lost everything that was in it because we didn't have a chance to evacuate pack. I mean, what we had with us was all we had left. Yeah. And um, so we worked our way back, I think, within a week or two when they were allowing people back into the city. And in the meantime, we had a friend email us photographs of a house that so we had to put a deposit on a house we had never seen. Mm-hmm. And when we got back, started doing some salvage work of whatever we could fit. I mean, literally what we salvaged from the house could fit in the back of a van. I mean, it was...
0: Wow. Just, and it, you so know, little. It, it
1: things I could maybe wash, you know, and possibly use. But the water was so contaminated that even stainless steel had you know, pitted and disintegrated. So there wasn't a whole lot to to salvage. I think I grabbed maybe a pair of jeans that I could wash and bleach, Um, you know, but otherwise we just had to make do with what we had. But we ended up at that little house in Marpa, and I would say it was pretty, again, numbing, just like after Michael's accident. Yeah. The first few days, you just kind of sit, and it's very quiet, and you just kind of sit with your thoughts, and oh, we need a refrigerator. What do we do? <laughs> we have to go buy right. a refrigerator or, or a mattress. You know, something so basic, but you, again, you start from ground zero and um, you know, we kind of just thought about it and but those quiet nights were just kind of, again, special. You know, because we had nothing to interrupt our time together. It was very quiet. No TVs, no radios, no mostly other people. You know, we were in a new area and didn't really know anyone, but We just could sit and talk and talk about what what had happened. We actually went back and discussed, you know, his accident.
0: Oh, wow. Now we're
1: here, you know. So, wow, we had never really sat and acknowledged, I think, because you're an autopilot for so long. And honestly, it was only, what, nine months? And then we had another tragedy. So that quiet time just allowed us to acknowledge everything. You know, why? You're Mm -hmm. paralyzed, and we don't have a house. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, right. we're in, in a new town, and we don't know anybody. And, um, you know, and my, you, my work kept me grounded. I mean, obviously, I'm yeah. me extremely busy uh, being an insurance broker. But it just kind of gives you a chance to be quiet and just listen to your own thoughts, listen to your heart. You know, what do we really want? You know, and that little house was a haven. It was tiny. It, it was on a river, ironically. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, here we are back on the water. We must be crazy.
0: Yes. Um,
1: But the water is always, it's so soothing. I mean, that's why people are drawn to the ocean or a babbling brook or a river or, you know, it's just, water's always been comforting for me anyway.
0: It has been, yeah. uh,
1: So it was just a very reflective period. I don't remember us really being regretful or sad. I think for the most part, I just really remember us thinking, wow, what an opportunity. What do do you want to do? You know, what do you want to do? And we were able to kind of just sit back and it's like, I'd really like to, you know, do Coconut Beach again. You know, I think it's a place where people go to be happy. And after mm-hmm. Katrina, we went back to New Orleans where the, the beach had been destroyed. And, you know, with the help of a lot of volunteers and, um, you know, personal assets, we were able to rebuild it. And it was actually one of the first places reopened in the city of New Orleans that was recreational. And really? It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing how many people went there and said, thank you so much for opening, because we had nowhere else to go. And just to be here with other people, playing volleyball, you know, drinking some beers and cocktails with your friends. It was a bar and grill environment. But it was really a meeting place for a lot of people. They would go and salvage during the day in the city, uh, do what they could, you know, get their families fed, and then they'd go to the beach and sometimes eat there for dinner or just go out there to be with other people who were going through the same experience. It allowed people to share their tragedies, and I think helped probably heal a lot of a lot of emotions quicker. You know, it, when you have yes. of people who've gone through the same thing, so it was a, a pretty beautiful thing. And and so that's we what over I remember. The deep back open.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's what I remember, too, coming back to New Orleans and and so many places that were, were closed and people displaced for, you know, up to several years and some who, who never returned and going to the beach and just seeing a familiar face, like being able to see you and Michael and and. Uh, Christy, y'all's daughter, and, you know, just kind of talking about where have you been, like what happened when Katrina hit and just kind of being able to have a drink and, and catch up at a familiar place that was comforting mm-hmm. in such a time of of like the absence of comfort and familiarity. And you, I'm sure you remember cell phones didn't work. I went to Baton Rouge as well and had to get a different a 225 area code in Baton Rouge instead of a 504 New Orleans phone just to be able to communicate with people. Cause all we could do was text and then that was right. even challenging. So to go to coconut beach and see who was there, it was grounding, like to slowly feel like I'm going to be okay. This we're, we're going to be okay. So you all did provide right. that environment.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, and then that's the amazing thing about Michael. And again, why he inspires me because we literally had just lost everything personally and had just finally had a chance to take a deep breath and acknowledge his new situation with his paralysis. And his first thought was, we need to rebuild. You know, he didn't even think about himself. It was more of, we need to rebuild coconut. Coconut is a new place. We need to do this. You know, and it gave him a focus where he could help others, but at the same time heal himself, you know, emotionally. He felt so um, useful you know, back on his yeah. equipment and doing what he loved and finding ways to do that. I mean, he rigged up, you know, to get on a tractor or a front end loader or a piece of equipment was difficult, but he created these apparatuses and had people <laughs> build things to where he could winch himself up and swing from side to side to get on a yeah. tractor. And <laughs> I see, mean, he's just, you know, a little bit of a Spider-Man when it comes to stuff like that. But yes. he, um, it, it was remarkable And so I think that was the first step and that's, uh, getting coconut beach back open. And like you said, you know, just going out there and say, Oh, I haven't seen so and So how are they? Oh yeah. I talked to somebody who talked to them and they're moving back. They were up in Natchitoches, you know, and it was just really, um, just a good way to share, you know, sharing tragedy. So after that, it was just uh, one thing after another, you know, getting coconut beach back open. We ended up living in Baton Rouge for six years in Maripa and, uh. Loved it. You know, it kind of had become our little haven, so we were in the rush to rebuild or or move back. We wanted to kind of take our time and um, decide what direction we wanted to go in. That was also a time when I was transitioning. I wasn't at Egan Insurance when Katrina hit. It was actually another agency.
0: Okay. And
1: again, part of that growth and that experience, I was ready for a change. You know, it's like, I'm really, I'm really ready to do something different. And then, uh, signed up at Egan Insurance in 2008. So, but it was just a a couple of years, you know, where you just start looking at your life and it really brought Michael and I closer together. I guess they say tragedy either tears you apart or brings you closer. Right. And we were never going to let each other fail ever. There was never an option for failure. I guess just out of fear, maybe, you know, fear Mm -hmm. of failure or just, if we did fail, maybe the tragedy would win, you know, kind of a challenge there. Um, but more, more than anything, I didn't want to see him fail, and he didn't want to see me fail. And I think it was just the compassion for each other that got us through it.
0: And a deep love and, it did and make commitment. It
1: stronger yeah. yeah, Michael and I had been together. I mean, we dated for 17 years um, <laughs> before we got married. And we yes. were actually had just gotten engaged. December of 2003 before his accident
0: one year before his accident
1: one year before his accident and even in being engaged had no plans to get married (laughs) we were fine being together and uh you know it would happen when it happened Mike and I are kind of those mindsets of people where you know we don't we don't rush anything we just live and enjoy each other on a daily basis so um You know, we had gotten engaged, and after his accident, he was uh, terrified, you know, please don't leave, Uh, let's Mm -hmm. get married in the hospital, and I said, there's no, absolutely no reason for that, I'm not going anywhere, you know, we're going to get you back up on your feet, and we're going to move forward, and then we'll talk about, you know, getting married eventually, you know, Mm -hmm. which we eventually did, after Katrina, you know, we had Katrina to deal with, rebuilding the beach was a priority, rebuilding our life together was a priority, and so we eventually did get married in 2008, but... Um, you know, that was just kind of a culmination of I think finally, when two thousand and eight, it was like okay, we've we've come to a place where we're at peace again, and the landscape's completely different, but the love still exists, so that's all that matters. It still always comes back to the two primary people, you know the two people in the relationship or the two people experiencing that tragedy. I think you know, like I said in the in the beginning. When tragedy occurs, it strips you down to your core. But as long as you have that core and it's solid, there's nothing you can't do.
0: Yes. That's a beautiful message. So. And then
1: the Yes Foundation. I'm trying to think of what year that was developed because I know that was shortly after. So, well.
0: I know we were taught, just, just my experience of, of being with you and Michael, and your home in Maurepas was such just a sanctuary where we would cook and come together and have holidays with mutual friends over the years. It was kind of tucked away in this remote neighborhood. My cell phone didn't work. And... um <laughs> <laughs> which is not a bad thing at all in today's <laughs> times. And I know when talking to you and Michael and just my personal experience was knowing Michael had raced, uh, cigar boats. Is that what they're called? Cigarette yes, boats. Boats. yes. Cigarette Cigarettes. boats. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Cigarette boats. He had mm-hmm. been the first man to like parachute on water skis over Lake punch train, I think in the seventies. Um, <laughs> Which you could never do now. He raced snowmobiles in Colorado with some special fuel, but he was an adrenaline junkie kind of guy. Speed and um adventure and excitement. And and when I went to the ranch you had in Steamboat Springs and we started to pack it up because of the extensive property and, and having to go out on four-wheelers and do all the maintenance to the the acres of land and and how sad that was for both of you to have to, you know. For now, for then, close that that portion of your lives to focus on rebuilding coconut beach and and your lives. I got to thinking like what is important to me, like what makes me happy?" And, and being a glass artist really brings me a lot of joy. It is my therapy, and I'm sure I could sell more work if I pushed it, but that's not really important to me. What's important is just to be in the studio and make objects that, that you know, I'm blessed that other people find them beautiful. It's, it's just for my own happiness and, and thinking, what if an accident happened to me? Like, what happened to Michael, and where could I do glass? And I started thinking how glass is not... Americans with Disability Act compliant. And in my bachelor's degree, I went to LSU Medical Center here in New Orleans, and my degree was in rehabilitation counseling. And I spent a couple of years working with people with disabilities in wheelchairs, getting them job modifications at, say, with the Hilton Corporation or Blue Plate Mayonnaise when it was here. And big corporations that the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, they had to come into compliance, restaurants, chains, and such. So I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I have this background. I know ADA compliance. I am going to make GLASS ADA compliant. I didn't know it would take six years, and now we're just at the point to build a prototype and and begin to work in studios with participants. So you and Michael inspired me and Michael's drive to get back to rebuild the business you all started at Coconut Beach, you know, that was his joy. That was his happiness and yours too. And Mm -hmm. just what would I do? And so I didn't know it'd take, you know, the last six years, you know, we worked together on just the 501c3 uh, filing with the IRS. And Mm -hmm. that took about several years. So we started this before 2010. 2010 is when the 501c3 happened. So we started, I think about three years before in 2007. And, then the patent just happening, you know, within two days ago, I got the final, I got the patent number. I got a letter. The number was coming about a month ago. So it's by being close to you and Michael that I, it was like a fire under my ass to what are you going mm-hmm. to do to, I don't know, like if you couldn't do what you loved. And mm-hmm. not knowing that it'll hopefully help more people and help the arts just to become more ADA compliant so people in wheelchairs can have more well-being and enhance their lives by glass art making, which is my thing, and and mm-hmm. other art forms, too.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how, I mean, tragedy, as painful as it is, how much awareness it creates within the mind and the soul. You know, it's kind of freeing as far as, wow, look where I am. What do I want to, how do I want to deal with this? You know, it just, it causes questioning in the mind. And it's, it's just wonderful that something so horrible can turn into so many beautiful things. I mean, blasting ADA compliant, I'm sure is revolutionary.
0: I hope it will you know, be. I, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I just don't know, you know, how aware people are that that isn't like that. And I think that's what we've been trying to, that's been the main focus at Coconut Beach because it is such a large volleyball. It's an outdoor sand beach volleyball complex just for yes. people who don't know and we have 23 sand volleyball courts uh we are by lake ponch train but obviously lake ponch train does not have a beach so it's a man-made beach and we have nightly leagues during the week um tuesday through friday and then we also have tournaments and special events we recently just had the ABP tour make their stop here for qualifiers for rio de janeiro for the olympics for the olympics wow. stars. so that was very exciting um uh, this is the second year they've been here, so we're hoping that they come back. Uh, but we have really tried to open it up to charities. Uh, Children's Hospital has always been a staple since back in the early 90s with Coconut Beach. Every year yeah. they have the Children's Miracle Network telethon. And so in conjunction with that, each year we do a tournament, which helps them raise money for Children's Hospital. And all proceeds that they you know, get through the people registrations from the tournament go to Children's Hospital and then we give a percentage back from the, the proceeds from the concessions but that started then and we recreated Coconut Beach and they're still a wonderful partner with us but it's allowed us to open up we have a I'm pleased to announce we have a, a partnership with Team Gleason which is Steve oh, Gleason cool. from the New Orleans Saints who is suffering from ALS and we have one of our main employees and a Good player down here in New Orleans. His mother's also dealing with that. So we have partnered with Team Gleason for a tournament this coming weekend in New Orleans to raise money for ALS and awareness. I think awareness is always the key. I mean, it's wonderful to be able to raise money because these charities desperately do need the funds. But the more awareness we can create, it just spins off from there because the more awareness you create, then there's more people that can
0: give. And educating so, um, people on ALS exactly. and, and how they can help. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so this year we have, it's it's just ballooned. We have an autism awareness tournament that we're going to be doing. We have um, the Brett Dufan Foundation, which is an awareness of teen suicide through music therapy.
0: Oh, wow.
1: This will be our second or third year for with the Brett Dufan Foundation. And, um, it's, just, it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience, again, sharing with other people who have gone through similar situations, you know, just tragic, tragic things that have happened in their life, either through, you know, disease or injury. And it's, it's been a wonderful thing. I just uh, sharing, sharing your experience with people, it, it, I think it raises everyone up, you know, because uh-huh. they know they're not alone. They're not alone. Wow, somebody else has been through this and they made it through. So I can too, you know. So yes. I, I think it's just about that. And um, I'm so excited about the F Foundation and this us because I, I honestly think it'll be revolutionary. It'll expose people who never, they could never do it before, and now they can. So, again, it's something new. You expand their livelihood. You expand their life and their experience and what they can accomplish. And, um, yes, you know, Glass itself, I know you find that therapeutic.
0: And I think it's just wonderful to be able to share that. And and you no, find I'm- it therapeutic collecting, collecting glass and collecting art. You're a big collector, mm-hmm. so I know. You know, for yeah. the artists, it gives us such pleasure to make, and for you as a collector, it gives you such pleasure to buy. So it's it's mm-hmm. such a win-win.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, because everybody sees beauty in a different way, and when you can share that, and then they can take something away from the experience of. Uh, seeing glass, or or being at one of these tournaments and meeting someone new, you know, they they walk away with something that benefits their life, and I think that's what it's all about.
0: So for Coconut Beach, if if there's a corporation, a corporate sponsor listening, how how can people get in touch to either you know put on an event to raise money at Coconut Beach, or just come and play, like join a league? Can you talk some about that? How people can reach and and sure. participate? Sure. Sure. Um, We have a website.
1: It's www.coconutbeachla.com which is kind of cute because you're in L.A. I know. (laughs) That stands for Louisiana.
0: So it's
1: coconutbeachla.com, and we have a very good website. It it talks about our leagues. It talks about tournaments, upcoming events, private events, uh, how to get involved in sponsorship. Um, You know, so Michael's Michael's philosophy with Coconut Beach was always philanthropic as long as, as long as he could make enough money to keep it successful and open and bring pleasure to others and raise money and awareness. That's what it's been about. And he's actually been talking about doing a joint venture as far as doing a physical therapy facility for wheelchair bound people next to the beach, but we haven't really figured out logistically how to make that happen because sand is not very forgiving with a wheelchair. Right. But, you know, we're trying to think of, you know, if we did rubberized quartz or I don't know. So we we were trying to think of a way to even incorporate or maybe just go out and be in that wonderful environment and do physical therapy with maybe some glass windows so they can just see what's going on and maybe be inspired by that. Um, So I don't know. We haven't, you know, just, again, it's just something, a new thought you know, and maybe a new direction to go in, but we, um or an indoor facility, you know, we've kind of knocked that around. So who knows, you know, who knows That's where amazing. it'll go, but Beautiful um, yeah, if somebody wants to go to the website, they can definitely get involved via the website. It gives
0: them all the information to do that. Coconutbeachla.com. And something that listeners do not know that I know is that you and Michael in rebuilding Coconut Beach, there was a lot of hardship with that due to the, um, Army Corps of Engineers, I believe, and needing the original location to to build upon, and that you and Michael put a large amount of your own personal money that you never recouped into rebuilding because you believed in Coconut Beach so much. So I want listeners to know that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it wasn't easy. I mean, because like I said, Katrina did change the landscape. So when we decided to reopen and rebuild Coconut Beach in its old location uh, by you know the lakefront after Katrina. We got it reopened, but then soon after, you know, Louisiana had to develop in New Orleans these pumping stations to make sure mm-hmm. that the next time this happened, they could pump the water out quicker, faster, better. And they decided that they had to take the property that we were on <laughs> in order to yeah. do that. Unfortunately, so um, again, it was a loss. You know, so yeah. It could be- suffered that loss. It's like, what do you mean you're taking the property away? I'm like, well, we're the government. We can come in and do that, I, guess, I suppose. you know. So they did, and we worked it out, um, trying to find a place to relocate, working with the city of New Orleans and with Corps of Engineers, and we were able to find a location in Kenner, Louisiana, which is right outside of New Orleans, mm-hmm. and they welcomed us with open arms. They have been an amazing partner, and we're so happy with being out there. And we actually had more property. So we were able to actually rebuild something bigger and better. So yeah. it, it kind of worked out the way it was supposed to. You know, I, believe, I have a very strong faith. I was raised Catholic, not that I'm practicing Catholic, but I have a very strong faith in my inner God. You know, I think everyone has to find yeah. their inner God. We all believe in something bigger than ourselves, but truly embracing that and knowing that that can give you strength is, something I've just always held on to, I've always had, and it only grew stronger through each one of these tragedies. And um, so I think that that faith and that, you know, it just brings you where you need to go. I think if you just keep taking steps forward, eventually the path will work itself out.
0: Yes. And I think, too, as I've, I've seen with you and Michael and in my own just path with you you all rebuilding Coconut Beach and, and us with the Yes Foundation and the patent is that um there were so many times I'm sure you and Michael wanted to quit, especially when it was so hard to relocate and reopen, right? Like mm-hmm. just kinda mm-hmm. fuck it, mm-hmm. you know,
1: like Yeah, should is, we should we go, do this? You know, we keep beating our head against the wall. This is the third time we've had to relocate <laughs> and rebuild you know, first time first time from a storm. And and believe me, before Katrina, Coconut Beach had gone underwater pretty frequently years before that because New Orleans was no stranger to hurricanes, and our facility was outside of the protected levees. So every time there was a storm, the water would come up, but the water luckily would go down, and we'd till the sand, and we'd fix it up again, and we'd start, you know, go back to work. Uh, Katrina was the only storm that actually, like, literally the complex was gone. It was hard yeah. to even find a piece of wood that was that resembled the everything building. Everything in that
0: area washed um, away. Huge restaurants, I washed, mean, just gone, away. leveled, leveled, just to gone. Just went out
1: there and there was nothing but land. It was bizarre. It was. It looked like the moon. It was, moon. So, it was the most bizarre. It
0: thing.
1: did. And, and, um, and yeah, remember yeah. everything was gray. Everything was just no birds. It was very quiet. Um, just because there were no trees. Thrilling.
0: No trees for the no birds. Trees. There
1: was nothing. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. You have trees of birds? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, after Katrina, and then the Corps comes and says, okay, well, we have to take the property again. So it's kind of like the second taking of of this place that we kept calling our business and home and uh, rebuilt it for the third time. So it just, we're we're happy now, and who knows? You never know what life has to offer, you know, so I never take anything for granted. You know, I appreciate every day for what it is. I appreciate rain if the water, you know, the ground needs Water and I appreciate sunny, beautiful days if I want to go outside and, you know, just kind of be in the environment. But you really have to just be, have each day is a blessing. And that's kind of how Mike, you know, Michael and I have lived our life almost like that since his accident. I mean, not that we ever took anything for granted. It's just that sometimes right. life gets so full and so fast, you just kind of forget to reflect and appreciate. And I think the one thing that all of that did for us is we are very content sitting on the back porch and having a glass of wine. And watching the sunset, or you know we live on a ranch now we we don't live in yeah. the city anymore. uh we decided we wanted a little peace and quiet, so we do live on a ranch outside of the city, and it's just it's just become like our little heaven, you know we can still work as hard as we want, you know as fast, be as successful as we want, but we can all, we always have a place to go back and be quiet and kind of reflect that- and be appreciative and I know you've enjoyed you know coming to the ranch, and it's just it's beautiful um, and it's about people. You know, the house is happier when it's full of people laughing and enjoying each other's company. So and good and I, food I think that and, with life yeah. and good food, you know, and that's one thing New Orleans teaches you, you know, that you appreciate people and good food. So, uh, yes. It's, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride.
0: It has. And I'm I'm hearing a a theme, or so to speak, that when you and Michael, like how your ranch now is like this place, you've really learned to come back together in that quietness. It sounds like neither of you lost that from when you evacuated, bought the house in Maripa. There's no TV. You're just with each other and all this quiet Mm -hmm. space that you've incorporated that into your lives now on a daily basis. So that's a beautiful gift that you allowed to come from his accident and Katrina just in your daily lives and the way you choose to live.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really, um, it brought us so much closer together where we can sit and talk for hours and that's just the most pleasurable part of the day for both of us. It's, uh, but you're right. I mean, we do appreciate the quiet moments. We take trips now, we drive and it's that quiet drive, that empty wonderful space that we share you know, in the car and I might be doing a crossword puzzle and he's just driving listening to his talk radio or his country music and um, that's, the, that's one of the most special parts of the trip, the drive there and back and then everything that happens in between is, is what we do but um, yeah, it's been a wonderful gift to be able to incorporate that and just it's part of the commitment that we just made to, it's, it's you and I and whatever we need to do. You know, That's but it beautiful. With you and I, and then we go from there.
0: Yes, yes, that shared yeah. mission and relationship vision.
1: hmm mm-hmm. And so something when so I brought us closer. Yeah.
0: Yes, it did. So looking ahead as, as you're talking, something that you and I are going to figure out to do, and I'll, I'll have, still have to talk to LA Talk Radio how to do this, is that like my pleasure is in art making and sculpture making. Yours is in cooking, and Beth is an amazing cook, and we are going to do a show at the ranch live on the radio um, with you cooking and teaching me and us Um you know, from your ranch, and just again, bringing that joy and happiness and love. Food is love, as you know, in New Orleans. That is how we open our homes. Our hearts is through food, through drink, through socialization. The last two weekends, I had guests from Los Angeles here. And it was just that really amazing to be able to show them, you know, what we have to offer here. And so I'm really excited about our show in the future that we're going to plan with you with you cooking.
1: That's going to be wonderful. Food is therapy. It's therapy for therapy. a lot of people, especially in New Orleans. If I have a bad day, there's nothing I look forward to more than going home and cooking. I actually made meatballs at 11 o'clock last night. <laughs> I know. You cook late. The late-night meals. <laughs> late-night meals. But I had a busy day at work, and by the time I went to the grocery and got everything else accomplished, you know, went home and I said, okay, let me make some meatballs so at least dinner's ready for tonight. But it was therapy for me just to go home and be in that quiet place and, and cook. You know, so um, just like different things. People enjoy gardening or they enjoy, you enjoy surfing. I know that's a release for you. Yes. Uh, And it's all environmental. It's all touching, feeling, connecting. Tactile, And I think that's what we just have to focus on in life is that we're never alone. And I hope to not ever have people around me that feel alone. Like I just want them to always feel involved. I want them to feel compassion. I want them to feel empathy if that's what they need. But I think it's just about sharing and sharing experiences that keeps this whole wonderful world going, you know, and wonderful people that you find. I mean, I'm grateful to have found you as a friend. You've been in my life a long time. And it's it's just brought me to the right work environment. It's brought me to the right, you know, home and relationship. It's brought me to um, a personal peace that I have, you know, with the things that I feel like I've created You know, they say put it out into the universe and it'll happen. You know, I feel that at least the energy's been placed in the right direction, you know, to create growth and healing. So hopefully it's it's all worked out the way it's supposed to. But, um, yeah, it's it's been an amazing journey.
0: So in, in conclusion, I wondered how guests both in Louisiana and California, since you're with Egan Insurance, they are licensed uh, property casualty insurance company in California and Louisiana. How can people reach you for business if they were interested um, in that and having you be their agent and such?
1: Uh, they can reach me at our website. It's Egan, I-N-S, which is for insurance, I-N-S dot com. So Eganinsurance.com. dot com. It's a New Orleans-based firm. Uh, we're licensed in multiple states along the Gulf Coast and in different areas of the country. And my personal portfolio under the staff tab is on the website, and my contact information is there. And they can email me or call me.
0: And from, it's spelled uh, the
1: information on our website.
0: And it's spelled for you okay. all listening: Egan E A G A N I N S, correct? Dot, dot com. Yeah. And I'm going to have a link. If you go to LA talk radio and click on either my name, Lisa Tahir or the show all things therapy, there's a drop-down menu that will have links to both coconut beach and Egan insurance company for people to reach you. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to thank you for being with us today, Beth. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking
1: to you and it's actually kind of been, you know, a little memory road for me and it's, it's, Brighten my day, like I feel good.
0: <laughs> I feel I'm lighter. I'm so glad. I do too. You always bring joy and love to my heart and my life, and I appreciate that oh, about you. Sweet.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. I love you. You're welcome. I
0: love you too, and I'll see you soon. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. That concludes today's show with Beth Carter Drury. Join me. Next week, at the same time, I have Anne Barak of Quintessential Healing on the show with me. She is a health and wellness expert and a naturopath. She's authored quite a few books. She's a public speaker, has videos available. She's done radio show and TV appearances. She owns a supplement line, and she will help us experience optimal health. Thank you, and I will see you next week.
2: Listening to all things therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home.